Hello everyone, my name is Will, I'm Aznev, and I'm Davison, and this is the unnamed Carthage Philharmonic Europe Trip Podcast. Now, this is a little different than the ones we've had before, as we are back in Carthage, and we're going to be sharing a little bit of a recap slash look back on what we learned and what we experienced in Europe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, I will admit this one will be a long one. So, bust out a pot of coffee, let's have some fun. <laughs> Yay! So, what did you guys think about the trip? Uh, you know, looking back, it went by really fast. Um, you know, I can, you know, one, you know, from leaving Carthage to getting back, um, while it was happening, you know, it felt like long, our days were filled. Whenever you had, you're doing something constantly, the days feel longer. Um, but all of a sudden, it was really only 10 days. Uh, but I think it was filled with lots of valuable experiences. Yeah, I agree. It definitely went by very fast. Um, I feel like um, coming back from the trip um, and sort of reflecting on everything, um, I'm able to sort of um, soak it all in and kind of um, ask myself the question of, okay, what did I learn? And mm-hmm. I feel like um, as a group, we really learned a lot, not just from each other, but um, just from the trip and um, all the experiences we shared as a group. And um, I'm really able to kind of tell myself, this is what I learned. Um, and it really shows the value in the trip as a whole. It's kind of funny because being gone for that period of time and every single place you go, um, is a new experience. Even just as we were getting familiar with Vienna, we were uprooted and went to Salzburg. Just as we were on the brink of being familiar with Salzburg, we, you know, got on a bus to Munich. And then finally, um, you know, always everything is, every, every corner is a new, um, new atmosphere, something we're not used to. And then coming home and that sense of familiarity, um, for me, it was the smell of the American airport. Mm. Like none of the, mm-hmm. none of the other airports smell like I just other international airports don't smell like American airports. American air just smells like America. So it's just, <laughs> it's funny to kind of feel that, um, you know, feel what, small things. Yeah. yeah. Those, and just the atmosphere of a place it's, it really is like, I, I guess I could, um, I didn't realize I could be so sensitive to those things. Mm-hmm. It definitely, for me, I love the, I loved how jam-packed it was. I know some people <laughs> wanted a bit more rest, but I'm definitely that type of person who just likes to keep going and going. <laughs> and the, as much things as we can pack into a day as possible, I'm in for it. And coming back, it's one of those, I have the type of attitude where I'll run towards a uh, activity or a thing and then crash. Mm-hmm. So I had a, but I am still on the little quick recover of a quick crash. And then I'm back to just running forward to the next thing. <laughs> but the trip itself went by like a blur. The doing something constantly allowed us to have the days go by. And it's all of a sudden time for bed. Mm-hmm. Even though we were up much longer than we sometimes are, it was fantastic being able to experience so much in such a short period of time. And to have such a smooth trip. I mean, 
usually something goes, I mean, not not usually, God forbid, um, anything goes terribly wrong. Um, but, you know, usually yeah. on a trip like this, we have some kind of speed bump. Like, you know, somebody has, you, you know, I don't want to suggest like any kind of emergency, but usually somebody loses something or, you know, somebody gets lost, but we didn't have anything like that. Um, despite being such a big group in such a big place, such an unfamiliar place where most people spoke English, think, you know, thankfully most people spoke English or understood English, um, and things were written in English, uh, which is definitely a good thing. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing extreme happened until, you know, really the airport coming back home um there was traffic and then a car accident on the highway and that was probably the <laughs> biggest hold up that welcome we back to america <laughs> yeah welcome back to the united states so <laughs> yeah definitely i think um one of the biggest things that um at least i experienced on this trip was just um there was a big learning curve i feel like in america um for me at least i um sort of learned um, through the school system. So having this experience of actually, you know, experiencing something was just very different. Yeah, I enjoyed... It's the quantity and quality of the amount of knowledge and experiences that you learned in a short period of time. It's the... Just being able to quick, be quick on the uptake and understand it felt really satisfying mm -hmm. being able to spend three hours and then get a basic rundown on architectural history yeah. or stylistic techniques in music it was incredible being able to see that i think this is a really good time to thank our professors um, who also served as our guides um, and resources on this trip they will always you know try to brush off any praise and enthusiasm and enthusiasm um, we give to them and their skills and their knowledge um, you know because it's of course they you know they're very humble and we love them for it but they really we couldn't have done this trip without them and their knowledge um, German skills and preparation uh, that went into this and that also goes for um, Dr. Kawakami's student assistants thank you guys as well mm -hmm. Well, let's jump right into the culture, beginning with, and I think for a lot of us, it, this was one of our favorites, was the food. Mm. What, what did you think of the food? Ozzy, I'll let you go first, because <laughs> I have a lot to say about okay. <laughs> I'll get my I'll get my things out of the way. Uh, it was different, um, but in a good way. I love to see, it was interesting to see what kinds of what items were their staples compared to ours for example germany there were pretzels and you know everything um a lot of main dishes at places were a piece of braised meat um with a potato dumpling or sauteed potatoes and onions you know that kind of thing uh which is sort of true you know you can find that in the united states but it's presented differently you know it has a salad or you know just sort of different presentations so it's interesting to see what items are menu staples for them um dessert of course was amazing i thought that the milk and cheese was also really mm. fresh um and good so just good ingredients um yeah, the rivaling Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, ri rivaling Wisconsin. And we know our cheese here, everyone. Um, I'm trying to think of a favorite dish or food item. Mm. Ugh. 
I mean, of course, they're, they're all of their gravy and stew bases are really rich and hearty. Um, but I think it would be hard, not, not terribly hard, but it would be a little bit difficult to eat um, Austrian and German specific food uh, and have them on a meatless diet. Right. You know, all of their foods included a piece of meat. You know, yeah. not not of course not not everything. Um, and of course, there were always vegetarian options. For example, I remember one time we had option we had an option between a piece of pork um, with potatoes, a beef goulash with potatoes, um, and then a vegetarian option was a beautiful pumpkin strudel, which was kind of like a pumpkin lasagna. Mm. So there's always an option. Um, but you know, for the traditional food aspects, right? That'd be different. Go ahead, Davidson. Yeah. I know you're itching, <laughs> itching to yeah. talk about this. So um, I was definitely excited for the food in um, Vienna specifically because I was excited to try some um, some Wiener Schnitzel um, as well as um, going to Germany. I wanted to try a German pretzel. Um, unfortunately, I only had uh, one German pretzel when I was there, but <laughs> it's definitely worth it. Um, I think the food culture. Um, in these places were the least um, important thing that I think we experienced, um, even though we're sort of, you know, dedicating this segment to the food. <laughs> um, I definitely overestimated, um, you know, the, the difference in food quality and stuff, even though I did notice um, one, of the, one of the biggest things that I thought about with the food was we, they definitely have a different standard for what they're eating when, when mm -hmm. in, in Europe um, in this area, because um, we something as simple as going to you know a McDonald's, um, it's clean, it's um, well kept, the food is uh, is fresher, it's it, it has more flavor, and I think um, something I learned from this is maybe um, us as Americans we just have a, a lower um, how do you say it um, a lower expectation, expectation of uh, the standard of our food and. Um, I just that th with every meal that we had, I was just experiencing something new and eating something that um, you know you can't get in America. Yeah. So yeah. I personally was very nervous about the food, mm -hmm. as you hear the as I have celiac disease, and at the time before it, I also was dairy intolerant. Over winter break, I was able to find out that I can tolerate dairy now that I've been fully gluten free for nearly two years. And I was nervous because you hear the beer, the schnitzel, um, f uh, the fried food. It was nerve-wracking. Mm -hmm. But the Austrian Germany had some of the best handling of allergens mm -hmm. and gluten-free options that I have had ever. Mm -hmm. This is one of the few. I personally do not enjoy going out to restaurants and just... Um, because a lot of times I'm unable to, I'm either a pain for the friends and I can't eat at most restaurants, mm -hmm. but here, every place I went to, I was able to have something mm -hmm. and it, the cross contamination was very limited. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an issue in the whole trip and that allowed me to enjoy a variety of food. Mm -hmm. It definitely had an emphasis on savory with the focus on meat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, the, um, there's a little bit of the, a, a bit of a sour in some mm -hmm. of the, with the focus, with some of the cabbage. Yeah, the pickled vegetables. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what also was interesting with the drinking culture, it's oh, yeah. U.S. in particular has a very interesting attitude towards alcohol, as it's mix of it's a blend of demonized mm-hmm. and glorified. True, contradictory. You have the idea of alcohol either making you cool or you getting trashed on a night. Mm-hmm. In Europe, alcohol is just a part of the food. It's part of the life. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, I, yeah, you get a drink with a meal, and it's normal. It's not this. The drinking age is much lower. It's right. part of a culture, and it's both mix of a social and a responsible thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not going out and getting drunk at a meal you're having a wine or a cider or a beer mm-hmm. and it's you're having it as a drink and as a meal yeah and it's something that i think how we consume it's more responsible culture mm-hmm. and it's something that i personally want to take back and how we view that in the u.s right And it was interesting just kind of to wrap up this food section to see how, um, um, although we moved across a a border into Germany, um, they share a lot in common um, with sort of the foods that they eat and the drinks. Um, I know one of the one of my favorite things on this trip was the Rattlers. It's sort of a it's like a beer mixed with a, um, a soda and it's it's very, very good. Um, but it, it's not like you go to Austria and that's a typical Austrian thing to drink, mm-hmm. but then you go to Germany and they don't offer it there. Um, I noticed a lot of similarities um, just like that um, with like the food that they served and sort of the identity that they shared there. It's interesting that we can contrast that with our American views. I think one thing that we're kind of getting at with this difference in food culture, um, so I don't want to you know prolong this section anymore, but as a last thing, um, sort of Americans, I think we're looking at, you know, bigger is better, faster is better. Um, and that translates into our food culture where fast food is very prominent. Um, and it's not like they don't have fast food there, but their meals are viewed, you know, the waiter comes out, he asks you for your, you know, what, what will you have to drink first? They bring out the drink and you have, you sip on your drink for a while before your food comes out. You enjoy your food, you order dessert, you know what I mean? And all, none of our meals were shorter than an hour and a half at the, you know, at best. Um, So I, you know, that's just all part of that food culture that's different. All the restaurants were very, you know, very clean, very, all the, you know, staff was very friendly, friendly and helpful. And it's interesting, you know, that that's distinct. Um, And like Will said, I'd love to bring that back uh, into the United States. Yes. And then, mm-hmm. how did you find a lot of the people we interacted with? Both some of the uh, people we met, uh, met such as the guest conductors in the master class, and just the general public atmosphere mm-hmm. of Austrian Germany. Well, I guess I'll bring up um, the first point about this. Um, one of the very first things that I noticed um, in Vienna when we were doing our cultural tour is how lived in everywhere is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I might've brought this up in one of our first podcasts, but um, it was very, uh, it felt like everyone was at home obviously because they live there, but 
um, between the infrastructure and everything. It's just people know where they're going. Um, and as the Americans, I feel like um, we kind of got in the way a little bit. But um, the people there are very, at least from my experience, kept to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a couple conversations with some of the people on this trip that maybe as Americans were maybe just a little bit more nosy. Mm -hmm. And we kind of um, sort of like to snoop in on other people's business a little bit. Um, and not, that's not to say that we can't do that in a friendly way. Yeah. Um, like everyone's always interested in someone's life. But um, I feel like um, in Vienna, what I noticed is that people were sort of to themselves. They were sort of doing their own thing and they had their own things to do. Yeah. And people, I think maybe people criticize um the American culture for that. Um, but I think it was something that I kind of missed, you know, is sitting next to someone. It's really funny. On all the public transportation, the seats face each other. Where mm -hmm. on American public transportation, the seats are rows, like in a theater. Um, but here, the seats, you know, it was a set of four seats and it was two and two and they faced each other, which is literally set up for social interaction, but you would never interact with the people across mm -hmm. from you so you're kind of sitting there staring at the person across from you and you're like uh this right. is kind of weird um but i kind of miss that about the united states mm -hmm. actually yeah. and kind of like this wasn't like the only thing we experienced though like um when i was taking the train to dachau um there was um there was a couple that asked us about where we were going and then um they asked um if they could see our map so you know people aren't like they're not so kept to themselves that they're not going to say hi or they're not going to speak to you at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, it's just different. People aren't necessarily um, wanting to know your business, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah, they're friendly, but it's a polite distance between that friendliness, mm -hmm. right? And that was seen in the wait staff and in some of the people you'd interact with, is that they'd be very polite and cordial, but they kept themselves. It was almost a mutual respect of privacy mm -hmm. as with the u.s we have a very we can be sometimes up in our personal details and up in their everyone else's ideas mm -hmm. of social interaction mm -hmm. where we can s go too far over the line and make someone uncomfortable with the other places it was the opposite it was very closed off I mean, you could ask for help, and people would be uh, glad. They give, they'll give you directions, and they'll, or you'll thank them and say, "Have a good day," and they'd it'd be nice and friendly. Mm -hmm. But it was just a different style of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to put into words. I think I noticed the biggest. I think I noticed the most extreme, um, you know, uh, reservedness in Vienna. Yeah. I felt that in general, the vibe, this is sort of going into our next thing, so I won't touch on it too much, but in general, the vibe of the city was people wearing their black business coats going to work. Mm -hmm. These buildings were all workplaces. Everyone has a place to be. They're going to stop at this restaurant for lunch and enjoy a drink and, you know, the lunch special and then go back to work. Everyone was going someplace, so there wasn't time for that. In Salzburg, which is a little bit of a smaller, you know, smaller place, um, public transportation is a lot you know, is a little bit different. It's smaller. It's more centralized to the middle part of the city. So you have to, you know, transportation was a little bit longer. You know, it was hard. it took longer to go different places. Um, people had more time to stop and, you know, 
I remember we first hopped on a bus um, and I was sort of asking a question out loud about whether we should validate our tickets on this bus um, or if we could just do it you know, in a little bit and the man across from me sort of smiled at me and he said, oh yeah, you should do it now. Um, and then he asked us what we were doing and that sort of thing. And then Germany, I felt like the people were the most, I don't want to say normal <laughs> because I don't want to, you know, normal is what what is normal. Yeah. Um, but the, the people in Germany, I saw people of every race, every um, age in Germany and it felt a little bit more like a metropolis sort of <laughs> atmosphere. It may have helped that we were in Munich and it's, that's a travel and business hub. So we had mm -hmm. a lot of, so you had not just traditionally German people, you mm -hmm. had people from all over the world. Right. Vienna, um, I didn't feel as much as the workplace. Mm -hmm. It felt to me more of the, the music hub mm -hmm. because we saw people, I mean, you would see the street performers around, mm -hmm. but you saw the, uh, people going to and from the concert halls and the, Because you see all the students with their instruments going mm -hmm. from uh, cafe to one of the many universities and conservatories. Mm -hmm. And it was flooded with them. Just so many instruments on the subways. So even though if we weren't as groups, we just kind of blended in as just another student. Mm -hmm. right. It was, I found that kind of funny that... You would see a few of us with um, bows and violins, and then you would see another person with a cello on their back, back walking back to the concert house. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think um, that's something that I kind of realized is that um, being in Vienna was like um, it, it was like experiencing a city of classical music, and I feel like that's redundant because you know it, it, that's that's kind of what it's considered, but. Yeah. Um, um, that it basically was, it was cool to me that they kind of preserved this mm -hmm. identity for themselves that, um, you look around and you'll, you can, I'm not going to say you can always see someone with an instrument, but it's very common and it's very, it's very interesting to see, um, these people who have kind of preserved this part of Vienna. And it's yeah. interesting that that is what's prominent. Um, it, you know, of course we have heard about all this history and all this culture, um, and the events that happened here. Um, but it's interesting that that's the identity that has been, you know, the lucky identity that now, you know, still exists today. Mm -hmm. Um, it could have been another, you know, important historical aspect. Um, but somehow that one was pushed to prominence and we can see the evidence of those, those changes that. That's what it's known for today. Right. And I don't think, I, I, I wouldn't describe it as being like a lucky thing, but I would, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would, um, I think the reason it's so prominent there is because they've had leaders that have sort of mm -hmm. emphasized the importance of music, um, or just the arts in general. And I think that's why you can see so much of it, especially in Vienna is like, um, the culture agrees that it's, it's important and it's very interesting to them because yeah, I feel essential. like in yeah in America we have you know very different subsets we're very into we we like our sports we like our food we like our you know uh we like a lot of different things and I feel like music isn't one of the big ones Austria and the Austrian government puts an emphasis on the fine arts on the fine arts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just the arts in general that is unseen in the U.S. yeah they put money towards the 
opera houses and the concert houses mm-hmm. to try to get these open to the public. Um, the U.S., we struggle to even fund, fund the arts. We struggle to fund just our education in general. <laughs> yeah. And we, and when we do, we emphasize the STEM and business side and not uh, well-rounded. Because you saw STEM in it, but it felt... It, it, felt, it was like a second thought almost. It felt more well-rounded. And I think it looks like a second thought to us because we come from someplace where STEM mm-hmm. is the sole purpose. Mm-hmm. If you ask someone, what do you want to do? What should I do when I grow up? Or what should I do? They'll say, go into STEM. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think um, part like a really big thought, I, a reoccurring thought I had um, is that in the United States, things are more, well, at least the arts are more a, kind of category of their own it's capsulized it's put in a box that if you're interested in it you open the box and of course the contents are rich and um you know of course we're talking about classical music oh it's so much better in vienna but we really do have really we have really well established arts in the united states when you look for it and when you're a part of it um and of course you know rock and roll jazz culture that's huge we have great you know we have big music music festivals there are tons of um you know world chart toppers Mm -hmm. you know who are united who who are american musicians um so i don't want to you know discount this at all and i think it's kind of a grass is always greener um complex Mm -hmm. and just experiencing solely this the european but um I guess where I'm going with that is it is sort of capsulized where in Vienna, it's a way of life. It's part of the life. Um, even if you're not a musician, you know a great deal about music, which is not the case here. And I think that's part of that, how it's set up. Yeah. As I said, it's with the capsulized, we create categories mm-hmm. in our culture of the music. You have a music culture, you have a sports culture, you have a film culture, and you have a... Uh, education, uh, science culture, mm-hmm. and they stay in their boxes, You and they rarely interact with each other. Mm-hmm. In Vienna, you had the music interact with the history, which interacted with the food, which interacted with, and it blended, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to bring up too, because I think something that I thought about is because these things are mixing and because we go to the museums and see how science and religion can mix and sometimes the arts and um, other things can kind of mix together, I the thing that I think about in my head and kind of formulate is that it's because they've preserved so much from their past and I feel like because they've made it an important feature of their country and their cities, um, I feel like that's what helps sort of Vienna and Salzburg and Munich become such well-rounded cities Mm -hmm. and because you'll have these experiences and you can't really say um, definitively what you liked the most necessarily about the culture and I think that's because there's just so much that they incorporate to it and these are older cities they're I mean most they're older than the US and (laughs) they so they have a wealth of knowledge to build upon mm-hmm. and showing that history of the, of the Renaissance mm-hmm. and blending relig- religion and science or blending art, the arts and science. Yeah. 
you see that. And it also, that attitude of especially, you can see that the um, marks of the Renaissance is well-roundedness. Mm -hmm. And it, it, at least for me, it's definitely a little inspiring of trying to maintain that well-roundedness to be able to understand more around us. Yeah, for sure. And the, ooh, we have also the atmosphere, which I think we talked about a fair amount. But is there anything else that jumped out to you? Uh, I think definitely the architecture and just layout of the cities where Vienna was a very round, you know, the public transportation kind of tells you the layout of the city. Um, so Vienna was very circular. Munich was very centralized and then branching out. Um, and then Salzburg, kind of a small town, not so much mm -hmm. transportation. Um, but I think those all kind of speak towards the layout. Um, and then, of course, the architecture. There's all these beautiful facades of buildings. Like an apartment building has a very beautifully decorated, you know, all the balconies are beautifully decorated, um, you know, that sort of thing. And these historic buildings house businesses and um you know, all of that, which we, we do see in the United States. But again, like we said before about the, the age, um, it's just, it's not so much. Our buildings, our more modern buildings um, are just, just contrast what we're used to. You know, we're used to seeing that and it's to see the older buildings housing the same things um, that normal people live and work in today. Um, it's contrasting because we kind of look at that as sort of museum-ish, you know, old buildings are probably a museum or an art, you know, are a museum, an art museum or some kind of historical place. Um, but there they just keep using them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It was a blend between the new and the old that really stuck out to me in Vienna and Munich as you would have a Gothic the Gothic architecture on a city hall. And then right next to it, you'll have a more modernized mm -hmm. shopping district. Mm -hmm. And then it'd be, it blended very seamlessly to the point where it wasn't, oh, this is old Munich, this is new Munich. Mm -hmm. It was, this is Munich. And the history just kind of blended. Yeah. And I did find it interesting seeing the, basically the rebuilt, uh, rebuilding after World War II, as mm -hmm. you can see, some of the remnants and of the bombings mm -hmm. and just the destruction that were caused mm -hmm. on the architecture itself. Mm, as definitely. one of the cathedrals we visited was rebuilt after it got bombed near the end of World War II. There are photos. Um, I really liked seeing that they featured the photo um, in the back of the church. There was a photo of, you know, the inside of this church that's literally splinters. Um, and then to see it in front of us as though nothing had ever happened and everything is beautifully re redone um, with the ceilings and the windows and everything. Um, it's a really, it's, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And to see that that's, that old story is still prevalent because we remade that. <clears throat> yeah. Nice. Now, this may be a little bit of a longer topic. What did you think of the art in this trip? Uh, the art, can we, is this going into music as well or we'll save that for another part? We'll save that, uh, let's focus on the visual Perfect. art. Perfect. 
Well, we, we went to an art museum, at least one art museum in every place uh, that we, you know, that we were in. And maybe not an art museum. Some, you know, I would say some of the churches we went to also served as, um, you know, there's art. The museum or the church itself is an art, is a piece of art. Um, so we were exposed to quite a bit of it. It was nice to see the a lot of the history of visual art mm. seeing the more medieval religious focused um paintings to the uh the more re- individualistic renaissance uh, renaissance and then seeing the impressionists or the uh more out, outright political statements made mm. through the art in each section of history i know the um one of the art history museum in vienna showed a lot of the biblical little paintings that highlighted the late medieval early renaissance era mm-hmm. or they were the harsher uh, social commentary in the paintings such as the um, such as exhausted strength or full ship seen in the uh, early 20th century mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think um, just pertaining to art in general my experience was um, very different when we went place to place and that's not because um, they value art more in one area or because um, they value different kinds of art more, but just because um, some of the art stood out to me more in certain places, um, like when we went to, where was it, the the Belvedere, Mm -hmm. um, there was a piece that I saw that I talked about a couple episodes ago, the the Evil Mothers, um, which depicts a mother embraced around a tree and she's kind of wrapped up um, nursing a child. And this is supposed to represent um, a purgatorial state that a mother goes into if she happens to abort her child, abuse her child, um, because it's supposed to represent her finishing her motherly duties, which would have been um, considered mother- motherly, mm-hmm. motherly duties at the time. But um, I just I f- I saw a lot um, of different art, and I feel like um, this piece in particular kind of presented a story to me. That was um, not not so much like it didn't speak to me, but it was just very interesting to me. And I feel like um, these sorts of pieces that are presented in these museums all tell a different story. And I think that um, that's something that they like to show off and preserve mm-hmm. there is that um, each each piece has a story behind it. And it's not very it's not really easy to figure out you know, what the hidden meaning behind a painting is or something, but um, we ended up going to the um, Kunsthistorisches Museum um, in Vienna, and we saw the All Saints painting by Durer, and um, I, I, we tried figuring out the meaning with um, Dr. Bear, and we just couldn't really figure it out until we looked at the description, and that's, um, to me, one of the more fun things that I learned is that everyone can have their own sort of unique take on something when it comes to art. 
And I feel like that's why we appreciate it so much, or at least they there appreciate it so much because mm -hmm. everyone can have their own interpretation and you don't necessarily have to believe what the official one, like in quotes, official um, one is. I think there's a nice argument that goes on about artists' interpretation, artist intention versus viewer engagement. Mm -hmm. And um, have you either heard the phrase the death of the author or the death of the artist uh yes 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 when their original when how they you know the way we look at it now like literature you know literature as well how we look at it now is totally not what they were talking about and they would maybe disagree with you know how it's used in the you know currently um but yeah sorry that's your thing go ahead yeah and that's exactly what i said and with that we have you have our modern interpretations of pieces all around. You, it's a, you can, especially if you can understand and be able to analyze these pieces, you can engage with art and history in a new level. Hmm. It's what made not just discussing them on your own, but then discussing them with others as you could talk with, Dr. Bear or Dr. Burling on one of these pieces and maybe you're, you're missing a piece of historical context that can completely change how the art is. Or you discuss with a friend and you both see different aspects of a meaning that you both find. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The art isn't static and that's meaning isn't static. And that was, I think, something that got reinforced as we visited visual art was the point of us doing it isn't just to understand the piece, but it's understand how we relate to it. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I think um, going to so many museums um, in pretty quick succession also helped us as individuals develop our art viewing eye more you know i've been to a fair amount of museums in different places um but i think that sort of practicing the viewing of art um in the time we were there sort of instead of going once a month or once every half year or however often you go to a museum and then leaving and not thinking about it for a while um it's not a muscle when it's not a muscle that you use regularly um, it kind of dies off and you have to start over at each museum and remember, oh, yes, I can view it this way. I can ask these questions that help me, um, you know, that, that help me understand the art better and make my own ideas about it. I think we really strengthened those, those muscles, um, viewing them in succession and really, I think our experience improved at the museums as the trip went on and we were able to appreciate more and find more um, things that we liked to see. And the analysis of media and the fine arts both helps us as college students in a liberal arts college, mm -hmm. but it also helped us with the other aspects of the trip. With Once I got comfortable, even more comfortable, really analyzing and discussing art, things such as the architecture or the film, The Third Man that we watched, 
you become more comfortable, even if you don't notice everything, you can still notice enough to make an interesting take on it. Mm -hmm. uh, the one of the big things that stood out to me architecturally and through this, the sculptures and statues, especially in Vienna, was an emphasis on uh, Greek mythology and then which blended also with neoclassical architecture. Mm. There was a callback to Greece and Rome that, especially in Vienna and Munich, that I didn't expect mm, and at first really surprised me because the Gothic architecture and the, the Baroque, okay, I can understand that, but why are we doing, why is a statue of Athene in the town square? Mm. Why is there a picture of Poseidon? Why is there a sculpture of Poseidon or of Atlas? Mm -hmm. Why are those there? Mm. And just seeing... And that one of those was an effect in the Renaissance of going back. But you it's a blend of history of art, which I found interesting. That's I think that's why classical studies in general are so important. Um, we, you know, we keep these things around because these are the earliest um, forms. Well, one of, some of the earliest forms of human, you know, human intelligence and human creativity um, and our how we live today is based on those um and i think since we are in a older like in an older city than in the united states where some of these ideas are not so prevalent um i think we we're able to notice that more because they were there they are more connected to those original ideas that our modern society is you know was eventually built on yeah where you know in the united states our origins were slightly different Mm -hmm. And now let's go on to some of that history that we were talking about. These cities were very old. Mm -hmm. How did it feel walking through a place that had history beyond not only just our, our basic understanding, but our country and having history that we don't study as often? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely had a very... Um, good experience in this area. Um, I think um, I tried to position myself during free time to sort of experience as much as I could. Um, I, I sort of chose where I went based on um, the history of what the place was. Um, so like I talked about in my last, uh, in the last segment, we talked about Munich and Dachau. Dachau was one of the places um, that we went that had probably the most history um, mm -hmm. out of all the places that we went to, minus maybe some of the museums, but um, it had a very impactful history. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, I talked about going to the, um, the Olympic Center, where there was a terrorist attack um, that... Um, sort of a lot of people don't know about actually um, I didn't know about it until I got there um, I knew I wanted to go to the Olympic Center but I um, didn't know the story behind it and there's just so much that um, I didn't know that I think a lot of us learned while we were on this trip that there's so much history to be learned I didn't well I didn't expect some of the museums to be as impactful as they were mm -hmm. I knew Dachau was going to be 
important. And it was easily that and the White Rose Memorial mm-hmm. were the most impactful. And for me, the most important things I got out of that mm-hmm. trip of truly seeing it, the atrocities that we speak of, almost we talk about them, but we're afraid to. Mm-hmm. And just seeing them and these, the almost the history that is hidden just in plain view. On the lighter note, seeing this idea of of maintaining the previous ideals of the classical, the Baroque, and the Renaissance, mm-hmm. and having them translate directly into the city mm-hmm. was very refreshing. Yeah, you you there's that hint of well-roundedness and emphasis on both the arts and the sciences. There's still that you still see the presence of the religion of the Holy Roman Empire. You see the Catholicism still in the city mm-hmm. and it's all there. Yeah. And, and that culture just being able to see that richness still purvey throughout centuries mm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is so has such a small time in comparison to the rest of the wor- world. Yeah. And even then, we our history and culture doesn't have that unity as as Austria or Germany. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I thought about too is just like the amount that they've been able to preserve there and just it's 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 sort of overwhelming when you think about how much you saw there and how much history you experienced. Um, one of the funny things that I thought about and I talked to someone about this is a lot of times in American culture will watch a movie where someone is, you know, running from some sort of explosion and, you know, they jump out a window and the building explodes and you're like, oh, that was so cool. But could you imagine like something like that happening in, you know, like a European film? Like I, 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 I want to see a film where that would happen now because I feel like it's much more um, impactful. You're not like, oh, cool explosion. It's like, that was a historical building that they just exploded. And, yeah. um, I don't know. It's just a silly thought that I had, but it's, it's interesting to see how much they were able to preserve. And, um, it's interesting to me, especially that they were, um, that they, they, that they had the resources and they took the, um, or they took the action to do it. And they actually, uh, valued their history enough to sort of preserve it. Well, let's talk about some of the music. We are orchestral students, after all, and we did spend a good time both listening and performing mm-hmm. in, in throughout the Europe trip. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's go with the listening first, mm-hmm. as I know the performing. I personally have a lot to talk about, and I know, and I'm pretty sure both of you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that that will be a good substantial part but let's talk about just the listening and because we did have a playlist yes that we listened to throughout the trip what did you think of it um i'll i'll definitely go first um <laughs> i listened to well we listened to the bach going into one of the churches in munich and 
we talked about that last time in our last podcast, but um, it was very fun to listen, re-listen to this music that we've been listening listening to for so long, or at least I have, and it's 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 fun to hear them in a different way and in a different context because you're in the place where it originated and you can like put the music. It's it's like. It's like taking a book and adapting it to film. So after you read the book, you go and see the film, and you're like, oh, that's exactly what I thought it would be. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to listen to music in the same way and then go somewhere that kind of reflects the music through their culture, through their architecture. Um, it's just a lot of fun to kind of see that come to life. Mm-hmm. I especially, I mean, I really do enjoy the music in general. I love the Mahler symphonies. They're super intense and super fun. Um, and it, this kind of, you know, listening to them and learning about their history and in their birthplaces, um, it makes me even more excited to play them uh, in the future. I don't know if we'll ever be able to play Mahler with our orchestra. I don't know if we have the numbers um, to play Mahler. But anyway, it just, it makes me excited to um, now that I've listened to them there, I can't wait to play them and, you know, get those melodies <laughs> under my fingers. Yeah. Um, and we, what we did get to experience of listening to um, the Schubert, Mozart, Mozart and uh, Webern that we did play there, I think it adds another element to the performance and to the playing and to what we feel as musicians, as well as hopefully uh, to what the audience can get from our performance. Right. Like what uh, one of the things that Dr. K mentioned is that we're going to listen to this music again after our performance in Vienna and we're just going to get thrown right back into where we were. And that really does speak to how powerful music can be. Mm -hmm. It's just um, you always associate your memories with certain landmarks or something. But when you're able to listen to music and have such an impactful um, effect on you it's 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 awesome it's building that context for the music yeah mm-hmm. as a lot of this music can be powerful on its own but once you build that understanding having it linked to the other pieces of art at the time or the history or the location you you basically connect and the general field becomes amplified mm-hmm. yeah the box regality becomes much more pronounced when you're looking at that in a baroque baroque cathedral mm-hmm. the brahms is dr- dramatic sweeping pieces you see feel that and the chill while you're watching and looking at the mountains mm-hmm. and that idea of blending the music is one that i personally love and I think the even being inspired by the same sights um, and sounds and culture that inspired the people who wrote this music, uh, I think is another really important thing that we were able to gain um, that we haven't talked about much, but you know we're we're being inspired by the same things or in the same place. Like we have the potential to have a Mozart thought, uh, which we can't get in the United States. So. Hmm. That's really neat. What about um, some of the more performance-related aspects of the music? We obviously gained a lot of knowledge and um, insights to how we can better perform this music. What were some of the, you know, what were some of your guys's 
bigger skills and takeaways from our master classes and working um, with the orchestra and our guest conductors? I think the two biggest things that for me were the emphasis on stylistic history, Mm. where we have a tendency to take romantic elements and thrust them into classical pieces. Mm. Our guest conductor would take these ideas that were even written in some of the editions and ba- and say, cross them out. They, are, they were added to try to romanticize the pieces mm. and trying to fight those the way we've been taught to play mm. and play it in a new way. Which is really the way. Yeah. Which is the way. Allowed us to feel the music. And it did give a nice little thing of Baroque and classical music, when played correctly, isn't mechanical. It isn't dry. It flows, and it flows naturally with the music. You don't have to try to be be additionally dramatic to try to give that idea. As our guest conductor said, just play what's on the sheet. This, these people have created these... Uh, these people have created music that have lasted centuries. They can, they're easy. You do not need to add more to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think um, Will and I will probably share a lot of the same experiences from these masterclasses because we're both cellists. But for me, one of the biggest things was just, I think, um, both sequencing, um, like one of our guest conductors talked about, but also just playing the music as it is. Like, I feel like, like you mentioned, there's parts of music that we sort of over dramatize and we kind of overplay them. And something that Jurgen ended up mentioning is that he said, why do you, why do you play it like this? Um, and then we'll probably end up saying something like, oh, it says forte here. It's like, we're doing some unnecessary things that I think we overlook sometimes. And um, another one of the biggest things that um, I learned is learning about the first voice, as he calls it. Mm -hmm. Um, So listening to the other parts and sort of balancing yourself out, um, realizing when you're supposed to play out, um, even if you have a forte, like we, we talked about, um, there were parts where the cellos had fortes, but we weren't the first voice. So we're not supposed to, you know, dig into our strings super hard and play louder than maybe it's the violas who have the main voice, in which case sometimes you have to be very quiet for the violas. But mm-hmm. um, the even for the violins, it's like you can't overpower them and you have to let the first voice ring out. Yeah, there was a uh, sense of awareness that as musicians who are still learning it is an idea to go beyond the sheet music and beyond the technicality and learning the awareness and style Mm -hmm. to truly turn it from us playing music to performing music and creating it i think part of this uh for me is before working with these people and hearing their commentary um I didn't have a set, um, I'm searching for the word here, but like sort of a, a an idea in my head of how a sforzando should be played in this sort of music or how um, a 
or how a chord should be played or um, sort of how we should articulate something, um, you know, a certain passage. And I think that I, I will now, now, but now I do after having been, after having played it um, and understanding more of how to use bow speed and weight in this kind of music um, is really important and something that I will never forget and that will make me a better um, musician in many ways. Um, with that thought, I think we need to take a quick break. Um, we're going to come back in a little bit, um, but we're approaching an hour, so we're gonna wrap up here, um, but we'll be back um, to finish up our discussion in a few minutes. Um, so, well, we shall see you.